Hi. <laughs> Good morning, church. I am truly grateful that I get to be with you all this morning. Like we did last Sunday, we're kind of hitting the pause button in Ephesians this morning, but next week David's going to get right back to it and pick up where we left off. So I trust that I'm not alone in what I'm about to say. See if you can identify with me. I've simply noticed that most of the time when I greet someone and ask them how they're doing, I get one of two responses, and often both. First, oh man, I am so busy. We like to shove as much as we possibly can into the time we have, right? Why do we do that? Well, it's probably because we're convinced that life and success depend on us, right? On our grit and our determination, our hard work, our strength. I'm afraid that far too often it's where we find our identity. And so we're just going from one thing to the next to the next with little to no margin for anything that hasn't already been given an allotted time slot in our day. We barely have time to think. And the second thing I almost always hear, I'm exhausted. If we're that busy, it just makes sense that we're dog tired. We're cramming everything we can into every 24-hour day, staying up as late as we can, getting up uber early to get a jump start on the day, because after all, the early bird gets the worm. You put that on repeat for weeks, months, and even years, it's no wonder that we're a society plagued with the physical, emotional, mental, relational, and spiritual side effects of running ourselves ragged. Friends, we were not created to live that way. We saw in the verses that David just read for us a few minutes ago that God himself established a pattern of working for six days and resting on the seventh. Now, clearly, he didn't rest after creating because he was tired. After all, he simply spoke the universe into existence. Rather, on the seventh day, God set in motion and led by example this rhythm of daily and weekly life that he meant for us to imitate. How do we know that we're meant to imitate God? By establishing a weekly work and rest rhythm because he included it in the law that he gave to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai. This is the fourth of God's Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So even though the word Sabbath, which means to rest or to cease work, first appears here in Exodus 20, did you notice how the command begins with the word remember? To remember is to call to mind something in the past or that already exists. In fact, Exodus 6, 16, just a couple of chapters earlier, recounts how God, during Israel's wilderness wandering, miraculously provided a double portion of manna on the sixth day of every week, and he commanded them to rest on the seventh. God didn't want them to worry about working to get food on the seventh day, therefore reinforcing the pattern that he set forth from the beginning. 
Nowhere does the text suggest that that was at all odd or unfamiliar to the Israelites. So it seems that that weekly pattern of remembering the Sabbath was already accepted and established because that's the pattern God set in place when he created, intending all people in all places for all time to do the same. And right before the Israelites are about to enter the promised land, Moses virtually reviews their entire history together as God's people. But when he repeats the fourth commandment, see if you notice anything different. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter, nor your maidservant or manservant, sorry I got those back and forth, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Did you catch it? In Exodus, the Sabbath is commanded that they might commemorate their creation. In Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is to be a commemoration of their salvation. Creation was the work of God. He created everything in the entire universe out of nothing by the word of his mouth. In the same way, the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt was all God's doing. If you read the story when God met with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, he told Moses that he was going to send him back to Egypt to lead the Israelites out. But God spoke entirely about himself, saying things like, I have heard their cry, I've seen their distress, I have come down, I will rescue, I will take them and lead them. I, 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 I. Their deliverance was going to be a work of God alone. And we know that the release of Israel from Egypt is a foreshadowing of what we now enjoy spiritually and eternally in Christ because the story is retold in the New Testament as a picture of salvation. But those are the reasons that we are given for the Sabbath day to remember our creation and our salvation, both of which are entirely a work of God. We are to pause or rest or lay aside our work for one whole day a week to remember that our lives, we live them in total dependence on that which is exclusively God's work in our history and in our lives right now. We are to rest in the fact that it is God's work, God's strength, God's sufficiency, and God's faithfulness that gives us abundant life and leads us to true freedom. God alone is the author and sustainer of life and salvation. So we don't have nearly enough time to look at all the scriptures on the Sabbath this morning, but all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are continually reminding people of God's covenant with them and all of the commandments, as well as calling them to repentance for their disobedience and rebellion. This often includes their failure to remember and observe the Sabbath. Through the prophets, God was relentless in urging his people to walk in obedience for their good and his glory. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day 
honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in your Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how human beings have always been the same, right? I mean, sure, the times and the cultures and the contexts have certainly changed, but at our core, we are the same. And so we shouldn't be at all surprised that through the years, God's people wanted more and more guidance on exactly what it means to keep the Sabbath, right? Basically, they wanted a checklist, and we still love us some checklists, right? Okay, so we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, what exactly is work? I mean, if we cook a meal, is that work? What about lighting a fire? Can, what about cleaning the house? Are we allowed to go for a walk? And if we go for a walk, how many miles are we allowed to walk? I mean, if I drop some clothes a, a mile away from my home, is that kind of an extension of my home so I can walk this? I mean, I'm not kidding. Question after question after question. And so Jewish teachers, with the best of intentions, started answering those questions. I mean, again, I, I would imagine they had the best of attentions, right? I get it. But by the time of Jesus, there were dozens of different categories of work that were specifically forbidden on the Sabbath. They actually called it building a fence around the law. So we're commanded to honor the Sabbath, and we don't want to break the law, so we're going to build a fence around it to make sure we don't even get close to breaking it. So it's a noble idea, maybe. But the problem was that many people began to obey all the extra rules as if they themselves were the commands of God, which they weren't. So keeping the Sabbath was intended to provide God's people with rest on every level, spiritual, physical, emotional, mental. But their traditions had the exact opposite effect. Not only did they make their lives more burdensome, but they were completely missing the point. So I actually want to pause here before we go any further. I don't know how many of you have ever really thought much about the Sabbath. And perhaps you know it was one of the Ten Commandments, but you kind of always have viewed it as optional. And if that's you, you're not alone. Don't worry. But that being said, it's kind of interesting because it follows commandment number three, and it's right before commandment number five, and along with the other seven, most would agree that those are all still commandments that we're to obey. And maybe you don't really know what it means to honor the Sabbath. I mean, you likely have some of the same exact questions as God's people have had through the centuries. Why is it so important? What is work exactly? Does it have to be on Saturday or Sunday? And so on and so forth. Well, there's a ton of ideas and opinions out there, but the best person we can look to for understanding on what it means to honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy is Jesus. His story is told in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus, in whom there was no sin, lived his life and ministered under the Mosaic law, which means that he glorified the Father by honoring the Sabbath in everything he thought, said, and did. Jesus called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And so as the one who created it, he is its rightful interpreter. His example is the one to follow. So who remembers the WWJD 
craze. WWJD, is that right? Yeah, right from, I thought it was a few years ago. Turns out about 25, so there you go. Um, But we're bringing it back this morning, right? What would Jesus do? So what would Jesus do on the Sabbath? Well, I can't even begin to cover them all, but we are going to fly through some of the stories in the New Testament. So hold on to your seats. Mark chapter 2 records the events of one day early in his ministry when Jesus and his disciples were walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were kind of picking some of the heads of grain to eat. The Pharisees were losing their minds because the disciples were doing what was unlawful on the Sabbath. But Jesus didn't seem to care. Matthew, writing about the same moment, explains that in Jesus' response to them, he actually refers to 1 Samuel 21, Numbers 28, and Hosea 6, Old Testament passages, to demonstrate that the Pharisees completely missed the point of the Sabbath by putting some fences that we were just talking about around God's law to help people not violate it. The Pharisees did nothing but make it more oppressive. So through Jesus' brief conversation with them, he taught three principles about the Sabbath. First, it is acceptable to do things on the Sabbath that provide strength for service to God. In 1 Samuel 21, David was fleeing from Saul in a somewhat desperate situation, and so he was allowed to eat the consecrated bread that was only meant for the priests. Rather than be bound by legalism, his immediate needs were provided for. Second, It's appropriate to do what's necessary on the Sabbath to promote its purpose. In Numbers 28, 28, we read about the offerings that people were meant to bring on the Sabbath, which required the priests to work that day to receive them, right? Much like ministry staff have to work on Sundays when we gather for worship. Third, quoting the prophet Hosea, Jesus affirmed, That God's not interested in empty ritual ritual on the Sabbath. He's never interested in empty ritual. He longs for heartfelt worship. Mark emphasizes Jesus' assertion that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Once again, pointing to the Sabbath as something established at creation and meant for everyone. The Sabbath is intended for the benefit and well-being of people for God's glory alone. In Mark and Luke, we find Jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand, a woman who had been bleeding for 18 years, and a man with dropsy, all on the Sabbath. Once again, the religious leaders were outraged. But Jesus turned each miracle into a teaching moment. Sabbath or not, it is always right and good to care for people who may be just as helpless in their sickness and disease as an animal or person would be who's trapped in a well. And the Pharisees said it's okay to trap or to help those people. The religious leaders had so twisted and abused the Sabbath that people would be left in their suffering and sickness. Their additional rules and regulations contradicted both the letter and the spirit of the Sabbath. Early in John's gospel, Jesus is persecuted for breaking the Sabbath because he healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus once again defends himself, but this time he makes him matter. I mean, he, I'm, as I studied this, he almost seemed to enjoy, kind of, 
making him even more mad, his religious critics. Listen to what he says. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, Jesus tried all, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The profound implications of what Jesus says here cannot be overstated. It's no small thing that Jesus claims equality with God. But not only does he not agree that he has violated the Sabbath, he actually both affirms, he affirms both his and his father's work on the Sabbath. Clearly then, the Sabbath command does not mean doing nothing, but doing the work of God. So I want to mention one more thing that we see Jesus doing on the Sabbath As was the weekly rhythm for Jews, we find him gathering with God's people on the Sabbath for corporate worship, usually at a local synagogue. We know from the Old Testament and even the rest of the New Testament outside of the Gospels that worship included the reading and preaching of God's word, corporate prayer, likely singing from some of the Psalms. And so that's why we do what we do here at Four Mile on Sunday mornings. We're following the pattern of Jesus and the Apostles. When Jesus lived, the Sabbath was from Friday evening to Saturday evening. But now, most churches gather on Sunday. So, did the Sabbath day change? Well, Scripture actually shows that from the day that Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday morning, his disciples began to gather for worship on Sunday. Even after the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, poured out on believers at Pentecost, the early church continued to meet weekly for corporate worship on Sundays, making them distinct from the Jewish roots and heritage from which they came. So what does this all mean for us now? Are we still supposed to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy? And if so, how? Well, over the centuries, and true to form, because humans never change, we've managed to make a debate about it, There are gobs and gobs of books and a wide array of opinions, but we believe that with God's word as our ultimate authority, we can identify principles about the Sabbath that align with the spirit of the law without saddling anyone with specific rules they must follow. Before we get to those principles, I do want to be sure to communicate loud and clear that work is good. God gave it to us to do. When we do it with a heart of gratitude unto God, our work glorifies him. It's sin that's robbed us of the joy of working hard and taking care of what God's given us. It's sin that entices us to making work an idol and becoming slaves to it. At creation, God gave us work to do and he gave us rest. So rest is just as good and important as work. Rest actually makes our work even more enjoyable because we know that our work's not going to suck the life out of us, right? If restorative rest is right around the corner every single week for the glory of God. Okay, so to the Sabbath principles. So first, if your ultimate desire is not to obey God and glorify him alone, then honestly, it really doesn't matter what you do or don't do on the Sabbath. The heart and the intent that we bring to the Sabbath matters more than the form. Second, whatever you do, the Sabbath provides an opportunity once a week 
to truly remember and rest in Christ. It gives us space and time to set aside all the worries and the burdens that are weighing us down so that we can be strengthened and encouraged as we remember and delight in all that God has already accomplished in and for our lives. So your Sabbath will likely include activities that help you do that, reading His Word, perhaps reading a book that teaches you about some aspect of God, listening to worship music or a sermon online, taking a walk, to enjoy creation, maybe going fishing, unless you're a fisherman, in which case that would be work. Which leads me to the third principle. Everyone's Sabbath is probably going to look different because our work looks different, right? To truly rest, the farmer doesn't farm. The mechanic doesn't work on engines. The writer doesn't write. You get the idea. So for some, mowing their grass may be truly restful, For others, that would be work. When we Sabbath, we are meant to set aside that which is work for us in order to engage in activities that restore and renew our hearts, our minds, and our bodies for 24 hours. Now, for that to happen, that means that we're going to have to learn to trust in God's promise to provide and care for us. It may mean that we leave something undone because it'll be there tomorrow or the next day when we're able to get to it. It will mean that you will have to trust that God will still provide what you need without cramming in as much overtime as possible. Sabbathing is about trusting that God's ways are the best ways, even if and when they go against our compulsive natures that just tempt us to keep going, going, going. So I'm fully aware 100% that many, if not most of you, are probably sitting there thinking right now, there is no possible way I can step aside from all of my responsibilities and commitments to rest for 24 hours at a time once a week. That's what I am far too tempted to believe as well. But we're wrong. We are very, very wrong. Not only is this God's good design for our lives, it is what he commanded. And so just like we would encourage someone who has never tithed, we want to encourage you to just start somewhere, right? Maybe you start with four hours at a time per week and you just go from there. Perhaps you jettison a hobby or a commitment that you have made that simply isn't sustainable in this current season of life that you're in. God's word clearly shows us that a weekly Sabbath rest is a rhythm that he designed at creation and still intends for our life in 2023. So I cannot encourage you enough to review your calendar with your family to determine how you can all work together to work rest into your daily and weekly rhythms. We disobey God and we forfeit grace and blessing and joy that could be ours when we don't. Last, in embracing the, uh, embracing the freedom that we have in Christ, we don't believe that Sabbath rest has to fall on any specific day of the week. For example, as a staff, we try to Sabbath from noon on Friday to noon on Saturday. But for some of you, especially those of you who work kind of changing shifts, 
It may differ from week to week, and that's okay, as long as you take one day. The intent is to build into our lives the discipline of setting aside our normal work one day every week to rest in and remember the incredible God who made us and saved us in Christ. For all of us, obeying the Sabbath means we've got to trust that that same God will be faithful to provide for and sustain us when we rest in him. That kind of trust and obedience is transformative on every level when we do it for God's glory alone. So there's one thing that I wanted to mention that I thought as I was sitting there, and I want to say that I love the sounds of babies and children. Love them. We never mind it, ever. Know that. But I remember when I was a young mom thinking, I will never rest again. Like, (laughs) I will never sleep again. I will never have a life again. Like, I, I remember those days well, okay? And so I want to say that I get, I, was, I had my little grandbaby with me yesterday, not a minute of rest. Um, it was wonderful, but it was exhausting. And God understands that. Those are seasons of your life that are, are just hard and, and that you go, go, go. And so you're going to have to be creative. But I want to encourage you moms and dads of young kids that they are seasons and they aren't going to last forever. Um, you might have to get uh, creative with your Sabbath rest, um, but God is gracious and he understands that. But truly, um, I just, I, we truly hope and pray that this coming week you will just spend some time considering this gift that God has given us, this command that God has given us. The Westminster Catechism actually says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him, working or resting, now and forever. And so, as we go out into this week, let's pray. Lord of the Sabbath, we can faithfully observe a day of rest and yet miss its point. Your rest is the goal of life. It's what you intended for all creation, to know you and enjoy all your goodness. Thank you for the gospel invitation to catch our breath, to stop all of our striving, and enjoy everything accomplished for us in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Friends, this week, go work hard and rest well. We'll see you next week. 